how it's been for you as as a person of color and also as a queer person within I guess the wellness space the yoga space what's that ex experience like I think the number one thing that makes you feel kind of othered is a lack of representation so I think because I couldn't see people like me taking the role of teacher and having the power in yoga spaces I felt like I would never be able to feel empowered there because um, like you're saying no matter how much we assimilate or code switch we're never going to be a white cis like het person I'm never going to be that so it's like a race that you'll never finish or win. Mm. Um, but if you kind of can see the representation there, which I now have doing the work because there are others like me doing it, then you feel like, oh, it's possible. It's possible for me to thrive. Appreciate, don't appropriate. The gifts our ancestors did create. We're all in this together. And welcome to Decolonizing Wellness, the podcast, a place for people who want to engage in wellness practices with integrity. I'm your host, Jyoti, and I'm the founder of my wellness company, a yoga teacher, menstrual cycle coach, holistic wellness educator, and eternal student. Now, the wellness space is rooted in cultural appropriation, in whitewashing, in westernization, and it's completely disregarded the origins and roots of the wellness practices that it profits from. My own journey of decolonizing wellness and decolonizing my mind has been and continues to be revolutionary. And that's why I've created this podcast a safe space to explore indigenous wellness practices with the people from the cultures that they originate from. We're going to be delving into the history and roots of the practices, how we can appreciate rather than appropriate, and how, once we know better, we can and must do better. Hello and welcome to the Decolonizing Wellness podcast. Today we have an incredible guest with us. We have Misha, who is a queer desi who founded the inclusive yoga space Alchemistic Studio in 2020. And the goal of this studio is to provide accessible yoga and healing to those often left out of wellness spaces, including BIPOC, LGBTQIA+, the scheduled tribes of India, those suffering from chronic pain and illness, and those who are neurodivergent. Amisha combines the ancestral medicine that runs through them with the fire of freedom fighting activists to provide a holistic and progressive approach to yoga and wellness. That is so needed in the world, Misha. How are you? Welcome to the podcast. I'm well, thank you for that warm welcome. And yeah, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. Um, so let's just dive straight in. So what was your experience of yoga growing up? Mm. 
the more that I have stripped back the layers of yoga, not just being a fitness workout or the asana, um, I know I've been practicing the aspects of yoga my whole life uh, that are included in puja, ritual, mantra chanting, reading of the scriptures. I've been doing that my whole life with my family. Uh, Being first generation, you know, my mom and my dad brought their spiritual practices from India to America. I was the firstborn, so I was kind of the most exposed to it. So I think uh, that part of yoga has been with me my whole life. Mm. Yeah, I can really resonate with that. Like it wasn't till I went to learn yoga in India that I thought, oh, I've been doing so much of this already. Like it's so ingrained into our culture as as Indians, as South Asians, I think. Um, How was that for you growing up? Like, did you embrace it or did you reject that side of yourself? Yeah, I was just rereading a kind of post I did about my journey. So when I was young, I loved it. I meditated a lot when I was like four, five, six. I prayed a lot. I found spiritual practice to be comforting and I kind of developed a relationship with the divine, um, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it from an early age. But I faced a lot of trauma kind of in my preteen and teen years. And I ended up getting very angry and kind of rejecting spirituality uh, due to that anger of like, why would people be put through so much suffering if there was, you know, this Mm. divine creation. And then I found my way back to it. So I would say that this journey has been kind of like stripping away anything that was straying me from uh, the path of yoga, because I always kind of come back to it and find it to be an anchor for me spiritually. Mm, Yeah, that's, that's so beautiful that you've been able to find your way back. And I think we all have like a story and a journey, don't we, that we've I guess that's led us to to where we are today um, and to be able to kind of embrace that and to, I think, to look back and kind of, yeah, to connect those dots can be really powerful um, as well. So I suppose, like, were you, did you always think that this would be where you'd end up and what you'd maybe end up doing, kind of, you know, creating this amazing space in the alchemistic um, studio? How did all of that come about? No, I didn't always think I would be doing this. So um, I was, you're asking a lot of questions that I've been like kind of exploring recently. I was talking to my father the other day and um, I was meant to be a doctor if I were to follow kind of my parents' wishes Um, Mm -hmm. from a young age. They are both PhDs in in biology and microbiology, very smart people. And so know that I would just kind of follow in their footsteps and I think that's a big thing in South Asian culture is being expected to kind of just be what your parents tell you to be and um, not make them look bad make sure you keep up with the status and the job Mm. and family but um, at some point I kind of realized that it wasn't my passion and my dream to do that um, and that I had a choice which was massively liberating also very scary to go against my parents' wishes. And I switched out of a pre-med track in college and I chose to build a major called writing for social change where I combine um, social justice praxis and creative writing and comparative literature. And that was where my passion lied. It was creation and also kind of how can we use creativity to change the world. Um, 
And then I also found yoga to help heal some of that trauma that I was talking about. Um, and so combining all my passions and deciding to follow that rather than the safe route or the route that would get me the most money, the route that would get me the most respect from my family. But what I felt was my dharma, like my true calling mm. um, led me to alchemistic. And I'm so, so thankful. Mm. Wow, that's amazing. And it can be, yeah, it can be so difficult to to quote unquote defy our parents as South Asians, because you're right, there's such a pressure, especially when you're the oldest, I can relate. Um, there's such a kind of, yeah, like, you know, you're gonna just do what they say because they know best and God love them. You know, they they all, I believe, do the best that they can with what they have at the time. But of course, when you are first generation or second generation even, um, kind of living in the West, it can be, yeah, it can be difficult to to have those kinds of sides of yourselves to explore and, and things like that. Um, yeah. So yoga has, I suppose, many different meanings um, yeah. and many different, means many different things rather to many different people. Um, so what what is yoga to you? Yeah, that's a deep question because <laughs> I've made my whole life about yoga. So it's like yoga is everything to me, yeah. but I, the crux of it is unionship. So there's unionship with oneself, which should be inherent to us, but I think is being stripped away more and more by capitalism and the society that we live in. I think we're very removed from ourself, from our inner world, from our soul space. And so yoga is union with oneself. And then yoga is also union with divinity um, which creates humility, understanding that there is a greater cosmic dance at play than just our ego and our selfish needs and desires. And yoga is also oneness with one another. I believe yoga is a divine thread of consciousness that runs through everyone. And we're all meant to look at each other as kin, as siblings and uplift one another. Um, so yeah, union, oneness. Mm. Yeah, I really like the way you explain that with the kind of three different arms. That's really beautiful. So, of course, this podcast is called Decolonizing Wellness. And today we're speaking a little more specifically about yoga. Um, and there's many different ways, I suppose, that yoga has been colonized. Um, what do you see as some of the ways that yoga has been colonized and what does decolonizing yoga mean to you as well? Sure. Uh, again, a big, big kind of subject because I've made my work about this, but I think um, what colonization of yoga is, is imperial capitalist and toxic Christian values being superimposed onto yoga culture. So one is stealing uh, the culture without crediting it. And two is creating a very competitive environment that happens in Western sports um, and capitalism, this competitive kind of idea that we're never enough, that we need to keep striving. Um, and that's why when we take asana and we make it this fitness program that we're comparing our kind of level of how good we are at, of, at yoga to the next person, we've really stripped away the kind of essence of yoga, which is that idea of coming into oneself and making it 
a personal practice. Of course, there's also the corporatization of yoga. So how can we sell this and make it marketable to a white, cis, able-bodied, heteronormative audience rather than accessible to everyone? Um, and there's also so much guilt and shame that's been put into yoga culture. So I remember when I was heavy in the white corporate yoga world, I always felt like I wasn't good enough. If I wasn't eating certain things, if I wasn't a certain weight, if I wasn't coming to yoga every single day, yoga asana. Um, and that's all of those kind of combined in one. It's like, how can we hook you into the yoga corporate industrial complex and keep you in it? And one big way that they do that is a Catholic or Christian kind of theme of a mass control, which is guilting and shaming you into it. Um, <laughs> Clearly, I've thought a lot about this, but uh, <laughs> no, it's great. It's a yeah. Uh, yeah, it's meant to be a spiritual practice that comes from South Asia and Northern Africa. And um, it's been turned into something that uh, is really just about kind of being skinny and able bodied and how much money are you going to pay to say that you're good at this rather than um, reverence for the sacred and ancient medicine that it is. Mm, absolutely and like I remember being at a yoga studio and you know telling the person next to me oh, I'm going to India to learn yoga because that's its birthplace and she was like really and I just thought oh my goodness like how did you not know that I just <laughs> hadn't fully occurred to me that not everyone knew that I guess because I knew that um and that was a bit of a wake-up call like oh wow um and then yeah I think for me like coming back after doing my yoga teacher training I almost felt uncomfortable sometimes to say words differently. Like I'd say mantra, not mantra. And to kind and to actually chant was was a really difficult thing for me um, at first in my classes to be like, okay, actually I want to do om chanting because, you know, that's I believe that should be part of a yoga class and it's really important and it's grounding and and there's even scientific benefits for it now, not that we necessarily need these scientific benefits, um, but you know, science is almost catching up with these ancestral practices. Um, and it took a long time for me to kind of feel comfortable to teach yoga in an authentic way in the way that it should be taught. Um, have you, like, have you had any similar experiences or how was it kind of for you? I don't, yeah, I don't know where you learned yoga. It'd be great to learn a bit more about that and kind of your journey. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a big part of colonization is like, isn't it strange as an Indian person, I feel uncomfortable sharing yoga, like authentically, that's how far mm -hmm. removed it is from, you know, its roots in these spaces. It's like, you feel weird um, showing up as a proud Indian person, because that's not what it's about anymore. It's about how we can kind of homogenize it. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I grew up with a lot of the scriptures. I read the Gita growing up and um, other things, um, but I got officially certified in 2015, whatever that means, certification. Yeah, well, that's a whole other topic, you're right. <laughs> uh, from Core Power, which is like the most corporate yoga <laughs> franchise. Um, it started out that I just kind of moved California and 
someone was like, you get a free week here. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'll just go do that. I'm poor. I'm young. I want to just go practice some asana. Um, but they're very good at what they do. And they kind of like reeled me in. And eventually I got kind of convinced to take their teacher training. And I showed up like I would in an Indian studio. So I was very kind of like, I bowed to my teachers. I took it very seriously. I was there to learn, but it turned out to be such like a high school kind of clicky environment and just not what I was seeking. Like that spiritual kind of hunger wasn't being satisfied. And then I I auditioned to try to work there. And they told me that I was too spiritual to work for core power. So yeah, that was weird. And they were just like, go do your own thing. You know, you won't, uh, you won't get clients here for us. And I was like, okay. So I, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. And I I was heartbroken, but it's true. I mean, so it was actually a blessing. Um, Mm. and then, you know, eventually I created my own studio, which segues us. into like, why did I make my studio? Because I didn't find spaces like that for myself to feel like I fit in. So I knew if I didn't feel like I fit in into the white yoga world, other people might not as well. And then maybe we can all kind of band together as a community and, and uh, do yoga together. Mm. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry you went through that. Um, I know there's quite a few kind of South Asians who I've heard have similar experiences um, to kind of being told, you know, you can't teach here because you're too spiritual or you're not this, you're not X enough, you're too much of this and, you know, or they're just, they're not able to kind of question the the studio owners. And, and I mean, I guess, like you said, it's a blessing in disguise and it's, mm-hmm. you know, led you to create this incredible space for people who who really need it. So yeah, tell us more about about your studio and what what you do and how how it's different i suppose from the the average white yoga studio yeah so um my studio's mission is to meld um like social justice praxis or like the mission of activism which is to progress society towards more equity diversity and inclusion to remind one another that we can always do more in terms of creating inclusive and accessible environments and that we can fight the systems that are in place that make us feel oppressed. And it combines that with the ancient medicine of yoga, which I think is important because I've gone now in my life to both extremes where I've dedicated my life to activism and seen the intense burnout that happens in those spaces. And I've dedicated my life to yoga and I've seen how you can tend to get lost in the colonized world of yoga. And so I think combining them, we can nurture our activist kind of ideals and work while healing ourselves through yoga and staying kind of sustainable within our own self. So that's kind of where it birthed out of was, uh, I know that folks who are marginalized tend to also have progressive ideals and want to see the world cater more to their identity rather than constantly making them feel othered. And so it's like, how can we create a space where we can have those conversations, but also not get lost in the heaviness of it? Uh, We can use our indigenous medicine to to integrate it somatically. Um, So yeah, my studio really is 
all about creating a community of folks who are often left out of white wellness spaces, which is people of color. I've never been to a yoga studio and I've been to lots and lots and lots and lots with a South Asian teacher in the West. Mm. And so my studio has um, all um, South Asian teachers, Um, the queer community, which I think often feels kind of weird in yoga classes because our bodies or our identities show up differently. Mm. And uh, Western yoga studios tend to be very kind of like gymnastics, acrobatic, like white fitness centered, um, very heteronormative. The language that's used in Western studios tends to be very binary and um, heteronormative language. Um, folks that made, that are made to feel in wellness, like they're never doing good enough. So folks with chronic pain or illness Mm -hmm. in the Western world are often told, like, that means you're fucking up somehow. That means you're not doing enough yoga. You're not eating healthy enough. You're not, there's like this marker of health being kind of like, um, status in the wellness world. And I don't think that's fair. So letting folks show up with whatever they're showing up with and, I think it's brave to show up with health issues and still say, I would like to um, invest in my own well-being despite these obstacles. So chronic pain, chronic illness. Um, yeah, just folks that often feel not only in yoga, but just in the world feel like othered and oppressed by the systems that are in place and um, creating a community where we all empower each other and feel like we're not alone. And it's been incredible because I fit into so many of those categories. So it's been cool to strip away the shame and the the guilt that I have felt in the Western colonized yoga space because of my peers kind of showing up and reflecting to me that it's okay. Mm, yeah, that that sounds well so needed in the world. I think it's um, these you know these safe spaces, these places where we can bring our whole selves. I think for me, like for a long time, I didn't realize that I was kind of, um, I can't remember the, is it code switching where you're kind of one minute, you're like this Indian girl at home, the next minute you're trying to like fit in with your white friends, the next minute you're trying to fit in with someone else and and kind of switching from one role to another and, and so on. And I never realized, I guess, how much I did it till recently when I really kind of sat and reflected on it and kind of realized, I guess, the impact of, you know, like I grew up in a very white area and was one of the only brown kids in my school. And I never fully realized the impact that had on me till till recently. So yeah, like yeah. having a safe space to explore that even is is so important. Um, and you kind of touched on this, but it would be, if you'd be willing to share a bit more about how it's been for you as as a person of color and also as a queer person within, I guess the wellness space, the yoga space. um, Yeah, like what's that experience like? I think the number one thing that makes you feel kind of othered is a lack of representation. So I think because I couldn't see people like me taking the role of teacher and having the power in yoga spaces I felt like I would never be able to feel empowered there. Um, Cause like you're saying, no matter how much we assimilate or code switch, we're never going to be a white cis like het person. I'm never going to be that. So it's like, 
a race that you'll never finish or win. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you kind of can see the representation there, which I now have doing the work because there are others like me doing it, then you feel like, oh, it's possible. It's possible for me to thrive in this uh, industry. It's possible for me to have a voice here, however you kind of look at it. Um, But yeah, I always felt like I wasn't good enough when I was in those spaces. So it's really cool to now feel like not only am I good enough, but people want to hear what I have to say. It still blows my mind that I'm on a podcast because at one <laughs> I was like, I will never be able to garner that much kind of um, backing or support. Mm. Um, I, so, yeah. And it's, um, it's important as a queer person to be out and proud as a South Asian, as a person of color, because again, that's something that I don't think is talked about enough in our community. And um once you're able to kind of get to know yourself in that way, I think that's you doing yoga as well is saying, this is my identity. These are my needs. These are the way that I love. This is the way that I find connection and intimacy. That's such a big part of the human experience. So um, that aspect has been amazing to delve into more now that I feel safe to land in a community that I feel kind of held and seen by. Yeah, you're so right. It's definitely not spoken about enough in the South Asian um, community amongst many topics, you know, mental health and and all of these things are kind of, I think, still unfortunately brushed under the carpet and kind of there's such a mentality of, oh, look, and what, you know, what will people say and wanting to impress others rather than thinking, how can I actually honour myself and not abandon myself and my my children or my siblings or you know whatever my partner whatever it may be um yeah a lot a lot of work to be done although I do see some some good you know great steps kind of moving forward Uh, I think there's definitely hope for for the future generations definitely definitely going back to kind of you know decolonizing yoga and uncultural appropriation of yoga which is I mean, it's just everywhere. Um, I think like for me, the the thing that, well, there's many things that really, really get on my nerves, but someone coming to me and saying, oh, I, I can't do yoga, I'm not flexible enough, really, really bothers me. Cause obviously we both know that is not the point of yoga. Like I'm not a flexible yoga teacher. I can't put my heels on the ground when I'm doing downward dog and, and that's okay. And there was a time when I was like, oh, that's not very good. I better learn how to do this, but actually that's not the point of yoga. So I don't need to learn if it happens one day, it will happen naturally. And that's great. Um, you know, amongst so many other things, you know, there's the word namaste and how that's used and kind of slayed everywhere. The use of, of deities and, um, you know, the statues and murtis that are kind of put on the floor or put on yoga mats and, and all of these things. Um, but how do you think people can start to appreciate yoga? You know, those who perhaps aren't from the culture, how can we start to appreciate rather than appropriate and really honor the roots of yoga? Mm -hmm. Like my first thing as someone who's been steeped in the world of activism is like reparation. So give money to South Asian yoga teachers and stop getting paid for teaching yoga. 
And I feel like some people don't want to hear that. And I've struggled with the idea of hurting people's feelings, taking people's careers away from them, but truly like stop um, selling my culture back to me and then making me feel um, weird or dirty or othered for being from that culture. I think that's the most harmful thing of appropriation is cherry picking the aspects of a culture that feel like cute as an aesthetic mm. or make feel like your identity is quirky and new and fresh, but then the actual people from that culture, you treat as second class or you make feel strange for being from there. And then um, another thing is to follow South Asian teachers that do teach about this kind of thing. Uh, always credit the scriptures, the gurus, the, the work that came before you. Um, a lot of new age culture treats their practices like they created it like somehow western folks made these ideas up when in reality they're all stolen and so credit the the roots of what you're teaching um but i would say the number one thing is use yoga as a personal practice it's a medicine that is there for you but don't make it your identity and your kind of um platform because it's not yours to have to be honest um and something that i've done personally is I was kind of quote unquote Reiki certified before I was aware of the fact that that would be appropriation. Mm. And I was very fascinated in the idea of uh, using energy in your hands to heal people. And I feel that I am intuitively a healer. Uh, but once I realized this is a Japanese art form, it doesn't come from my lineage. I didn't pay enough respect to it in the process of getting certified, quote unquote, initiated. It was just a money grab for someone. I stopped calling myself a Reiki healer. I will never do that again. Um, I will say that I am an intuitive kind of facilitator of yoga. That's my lane. So mm. it doesn't take anything from me to, to stop doing that, but it does make me feel better knowing I'm honoring that. So, um, yeah, I just think, I think even if it rocks you and it shakes you a bit, uh, maybe rethink using someone else's culture as an aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, it's just so sad almost like how yoga has become effectively gymnastics on a mat. And, and when you think about someone practicing yoga you don't think of a brown person or south asian person or or any person of color you think of a yeah like you've said a white skinny woman in her fancy leggings and yoga mat and all of these things when in reality like our ancestors practiced wearing you know cotton or wearing very natural fibers and and all of these things um and they wouldn't have had a, a yoga mat at all or they would have used something very different um, to the plastic again that we that we so often practice on yeah feels like a bastardization of it yeah. and it's just personally really affected me and I know I'm not the only one to show up to spaces like that where I didn't go to gymnastics or cheerleading in my youth and so I can't show up with those skills and abilities and then you just feel like you're always behind the mm popular flexible fit gymnast white girl uh mm, when it, I feel you <laughs> yeah and then I have like 
my cloth from Rishikesh that I'm like bowing to and paying respects to my ancestors on the mat, but it's like, that's kind of not what that space is built for. Um, so it's strange. Mm. Yeah. Um, it'd be good actually to talk about Rishikesh itself. Like I've been to India a few times, like my family are from Punjab. So that's generally where I've been. And I've never seen anywhere in India like Rishikesh. And it was amazing, but it also felt like it wasn't India. Like it, it, I could have been in like Camden or I don't know, somewhere edgy in London. Cause there's just like, it's very catered to the, to the white lens part of it. Not all of it, of course, cause you've still got amazing temples there and, and things like that. But everywhere was like this latte and you know, everything's vegan and yeah. Oh, wow. When did you visit? Um, 2020 in January. Okay, so I went like five or six years ago. I didn't notice that, but I also wasn't looking for it. Um, okay. But I believe as Rishikesh is where the Beatles visited and then took Indian culture, created the counterculture movement in the 60s. Mm. So it makes sense. The hub for hippies. Yes. Yeah. And that's what it was like a hippies paradise. And it was amazing in, in a lot of ways, but it also made me feel a little sad and uncomfortable. Like I've been to many temples around India and there's a very different experience to kind mm. of um, going there. And I don't know, I guess sometimes I feel a bit torn, like it's really beautiful to, for me, like being in that yoga teacher training and seeing all of these people none of whom were brown, most were white, kind of wanting to learn more and wanting to invest this time into something that is my culture. Mm. But then also seeing the way that they would kind of dismiss certain things and be like, oh, we don't need to learn that or this is silly or something. And it's a bit like, mm, but actually that is the whole of yoga. So it can be a bit, I don't know. Yeah, I guess in, in a way like that can felt a bit conflicting um, to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the, it's like, if you come at it with deep reverence, which is such a part of Indian culture is this idea of respect and reverence. Um, then, you know, that feels better than, um, you know, I can't wait to go home and say that I went to India and post it on Instagram and whatever, you know, it's like, anytime I see another culture, I try to one, understand that I will never fully understand it because cultures are nuanced and two, try to be respectful of it. Mm. But there's a very flippant attitude sometimes because of uh, privilege. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I guess that there's an element of you don't know what you don't know, but then there's also the element of we literally have so much information at our fingertips. So you could just do a quick Google search to learn something or yeah, I guess just try to understand, but I don't know, I suppose when you have so much privilege, you don't even realize that there's something you need to understand, um, yeah. which I guess is, is part of the problem. Yeah, I think a lot of Indian people have an uh, idea that like share, people being fascinated with our culture is um, well-intentioned. And I, as we're talking, I kind of, I can see that. I can see how like the Beatles, for example, finding gurus in India and being so in awe of the idea of, um, kind of non-materialism and 
reverence for the divine and wanting to share it with the West as medicine. Like, hey, there's something besides war and capitalism. There's another way to see the world because there's such a void of spirituality in the West often. It's that that well-intentioned moment, even a singular individual seeking yoga as medicine for themselves. It's when it starts getting pumped into the machine and into the culture and getting warped and kind of used as a commodity or used as an escape, then we start to have harm done. So, you know, even if the intention is harmless, if the impact is harmful, you have to look at what's happening. And I think that's why this conversation can feel uncomfortable for some people like, oh, well, I just love yoga. And that's fine, but you have to always remember the impact it could possibly have on, on um, other people. And I think sometimes there's a danger of that in the wellness world of, oh, well, I had good intentions, so that's all that matters. But actually just having good intentions isn't isn't good enough. You know, there's there'll be people who think they have good intentions and are doing what they believe to be right and they've caused war or, you know, harmed people and, and all of those things like very physically or in a very explicit way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose there's the danger of spiritual bypassing as well, which is is very um, prevalent in in the wellness space. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so toxic. Yes, spiritual bypassing because, and the reason that's even more toxic for someone who's marginalized, like me and the folks that I teach and the folks that are my colleagues, is we have so much internalized trauma, rage, sadness from the oppression that we face. So then to tell us that expressing any of that isn't being a good yogi or isn't whatever you will call it, spiritual, you are then further harming us. Um, And the purpose of healing in any way is to face really tough stuff, let it surface, transmute it, sit with it, all of that. So yeah, spiritual bypassing creates a very very harmful environment that I also have been personally very affected by. Mm-hmm. I always thought, you know, if I'm exper- if I'm expressing anything that isn't positive or loving or light, I am failing. And it created a lot of shame. Mm-hmm. But we are all human and we all experience all of those feelings. So very liberating to be in a space that doesn't spiritually bypass you. Yeah, absolutely. And like thinking about when you were speaking, it made me think of ahimsa and how people think, oh, but you're a yogi, you practice ahimsa, so, you know, you shouldn't be doing these things and they kind of try and throw it in your face. But I Mm -hmm. think obviously ahimsa is, I mean, we could spend a whole podcast just talking about, you know, that word and the meaning itself, but it means so much more than non-violence, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's such a vast, word as many of the you know the yogic words or the sanskrit words are they're they're so nuanced and they mean so many different things and there's so many different layers um so you know again when if you don't understand those nuances and you haven't studied those layers then you you just kind of get that top level and again it's the whole cherry picking thing isn't it that we were talking about yes yes yeah um yeah ahimsa like cultivating a life force within you nourishing it nurturing it and the life force around you as well could very well mean holding space for grief 
or tough stuff um, mm. if you extrapolate on it further. Um, yeah. I mean, very few of us reach enlightenment. <laughs> I think that's why it's such a <laughs> coveted thing. So most of us are just going to be humans and make mistakes and be fallible. And so I think it's much more healthy to hold space for all of that than um, expect everyone to, to act like a saint just because they practice yoga. Mm, absolutely. And I think also at the moment, like we just live in a world that's fueled by cancel culture. So people are so afraid of saying anything at all yeah. that they just say nothing, um, yep. which is is just as dangerous. Right. Cancel culture is tough. I, uh, I think it's a big shame response. I think we tend to point the finger out rather than looking inwards and I don't know. I've always thought of it kind of like if my whole life was under a microscope, there are parts of, and then people decided to hone in on one part of my life, I would be canceled. I, I've made mistakes. Um, mm. I think what we need to cultivate is accountability culture. I think like we're saying, everyone is fallible. Everyone learns and makes mistakes. Are you willing to be accountable for those mistakes and learn and grow, find the proper resources to do so? If so, awesome. That's how we evolve as a species. Um, it's folks who refuse to take accountability that end up, you know, being harmful for their whole lives. And I wouldn't cancel them either. I would just maybe defund their power. Um, but yeah, cancel culture, also toxic <laughs> to me. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, we've covered a lot there. Thank you so much. Um, so before we go, where can our listeners find you and connect with you further? Sure. So alchemistic is a word that is hard to say and a little bit harder to spell. So I'm going to spell it for you. Um, it's A-L-C-H-E-M-Y-S-T-I-C. That's Alchemistic Studio on Instagram. It's the handle is at alchemistic underscore studio. Facebook, it's just alchemistic studio www.alchemisticstudio.com. Um, and yeah, you can find me on social media. I teach classes and workshops and also long immersions. I have some exciting uh, things that I'm partnering with other folks in my field with, so you can learn from even more South Asian teachers doing this work of decolonizing. Um, and I would love to connect with you and feel free to shoot me a DM or an email uh, if you have any questions that I can help you with. Thank you so much, Misha. That's amazing. And we'll put all the links in the show notes and, and all of that good stuff so people can find you easily. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining me. I've really enjoyed this conversation um, and I hope to speak to you soon. Absolutely. It was lovely. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed the episode and learned as much as I did. I would love to hear your top takeaways, your aha moments, or any thoughts and reflections. You can message me on Instagram at mywellnesscompany. You can email me hello at mywellnesscompany.co.uk or you can leave me a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash Jothi Chadder. I really would love to hear from you. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, I'd be so grateful if you could make sure you're subscribed and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time, friends, stay curious, keep asking questions, and keep taking up space. Looking at the roots on trees, not just eating fruit and taking the seeds. Appreciate, don't appropriate the gifts our ancestors did create. We're all